This is 1988 Tops, where every card has a story to tell. Your hosts are David McKellis and Matt Kuzma. Let's play ball. Welcome back to 1988 Tops. David, what's our card for this week? Our card this week is Keith Comstock, card number 778, pitcher for the San Diego Padres. Okay, Keith Comstock. This is a very notable card in the 1988 top set. This is a card that I don't remember seeing, but I remember hearing about. And so I've been looking forward to this one. So why did we choose this card today? I've referenced the Two Strike Noise podcast on recent episodes. I was listening to a back episode of that, episode number 117, about the weirdest trades in baseball history. And Keith Comstock was involved in one of those weird trades. I knew that this would be a fun episode because Keith has one of the best or worst baseball cards of all time. <laughs> and so I was putting this one off for a little while, but then I heard about this weird trade and I said, no, let's talk about Keith Comstock. This should be fun. Fantastic. Well, I think a great rationale to, to break this one out. David, as I mentioned, I had heard of this card before and knew that it was notorious. I'm going to go to the archives and get my copy of the November 1988 Beckett Guide, Beckett Baseball Card Monthly, and check out the value of the Keith Comstock 778. And as it turns out, this is an error card where the uncorrected error was $6 in mint condition in November 1988, versus 30 cents for the corrected edition. So, David, which one have you got? I have the corrected version, which has the word Padres in blue. The error card has Padres in white across the top. It looks like now you can get one of those error cards on eBay for $3. So we have some deflation going on here. Mm. Mine has the blue writing, so of course it is worthless. I did see on the 88 Tops blog, shout out to friend of the show, Andy from the 88 Tops blog at High Heat Stats. On that old blog, someone suggested that you could use an eraser to get rid of the blue and make your own error card. So maybe the, <laughs> the market was flooded with fake errors. Not suspicious at all. This card looks great. It looks like the real error. The, the D is kind of faded out, though. I've erased his mustache. <laughs> so I'm looking on the Jumbotron at the corrected error card. But all the same, this is a good action shot of Keith in delivery, the left-handed pitcher. He's got his glove hand, his right hand, tucked very tightly as part of his motion, which I, I think looks kind of cool. This mustache is pretty epic. And you've got the pinstripe San Diego Padres uniform, brown pinstripes, and a big SD on the chest, and the brown and orange hat. So I think it's a very good looking card. Mine looks a little bit blurry, a little bit dark, but this is a very good action shot. And this is a, a rookie, Keith Comstock. He was at this point 31 years old and still qualified as a rookie. He took a circuitous route to get to the majors, and we'll see some lines on this card like we've not seen on other 1988 Tops cards. Excellent. So let's flip to the back of 778. And boy, do we have a lot of stats, David. 
You have Keith Comstock at six feet tall, weight 175, left-handed thrower and batter, drafted by the Angels in the fifth round of January 1976, born December 23rd, 1955 in San Francisco, California, with a home in San Carlos, California. Keith was born in San Francisco, but he grew up in San Carlos, which at this point was also where he was making his home, which is south of San Francisco, closer to Palo Alto, along the bay. And that name, Comstock, I don't know if you've heard of the Comstock laws. And according to Wikipedia, this is really all I have to go on here. Keith is related to Anthony Comstock and is perhaps a great-grandson of Anthony Comstock, who was a U.S. Postal Service inspector and an anti-vice advocate. So these Comstock laws were anti-obscenity. Anthony had some amazing facial hair, so perhaps that's a family resemblance. (laughs) That said, he pushed for some pretty draconian laws that censored materials he deemed to be obscene. And during the Grant administration, a series of laws were passed that criminalized the use of the post office for items related to obscenity, contraception, and really anything with, let's say, adult content. And when I say adult content, I'm not talking about Keith Comstock's future baseball cards, which (laughs) (laughs) have a a content warning, adult content on future Keith Comstock cards, or Billy Ripken cards for that matter. That's right. Don't send those through the mail. You could end up with five years in federal penitentiary. So selling obscene publications under these laws was punishable by up to five years of hard labor. There were multiple failed attempts to repeal those laws, but some of those still remained in effect until the 1970s, nearly 100 years after their passage. Finally, they were struck down by the courts in the 1970s. Keith's father, Herb, drove a truck and later ran a trucking company in the Bay Area. Keith had a younger brother, Brad, who was nine years younger and would also play professional baseball in the minor leagues. This Bay Area Comstock clan, they went to uh, San Carlos High School. Notable alumni from San Carlos High include Catherine Bigelow, director of the Hurt Locker, current Secretary of Energy and former governor of Michigan, and one-time dating game contestant Jennifer Granholm. And whose line is it anyways? Glasses wearer Greg Proops. (laughs) Loved that guy. (laughs) But Keith wasn't drafted out of high school. He instead went to Kenyatta College, and that is a community college in San Mateo, California. Pretty impressive list of 40 players from this community college that have been drafted through the years, including Bob Melvin, Harold Reynolds, and Moises Peehans Alu. He did that to to toughen up his hands and roughen his skin. Yes, and gross me out. And (laughs) I don't know if that actually worked. Apparently Jorge Posada also did that. Mm. I don't know. We'll leave that one there. So looking at it, he pitched pretty well at Kenyatta, earning second team all Northern California as a freshman, and then first team all state selection his sophomore year, and finished up school, got his associate's degree in film, cinema, video studies, which is kind of what I got my degree in in college my first two years, if you had added also early internet study. Yeah, I watched The Lord of the Rings a lot which I think qualifies as film studies. Keith also earned a spot in the January draft and was picked in the fifth round by the Angels in 1976. And thus begins 
a saga for <laughs> Keith to finally reach the majors and get this rookie card, his first tops card. And we can hopefully move through it a little bit quicker than Keith did. <laughs> no promises. Yeah. Yeah. Getting to Mordor is going to take, <laughs> it's going to take a long time. You know, it seems like an Eagle should have just picked up Keith Comstock and taken him straight to the majors instead of making him walk the whole way. Yeah. They could have just left Keith Comstock with Tom Bombadil. <laughs> Would have worked just fine. But instead, he starts out in rookie ball, 1976 and 77. He went from rookie to low A to high A and had some success. He was striking out more than one batter per inning out of the bullpen and got 11 saves in 1977. He gave up a lot of runs those first couple seasons. And so he stayed in high A for 1978, had a successful season, 71 strikeouts in 82 innings and a 2.85 ERA. We see on his card a little bit of one step forward, one step back, or one step forward, one step laterally. He gets called up to double A in 1979. And this starts what Keith himself acknowledged was a a pretty impressive double A run where in Keith's mind, he believes that he played in every double-A stadium in the country. (laughs) He earned his first release also in 1979. He started in half of his 16 appearances, and he got rocked. 64 runs in 63 innings. He walked twice as many as he struck out. He said the only thing he learned from pitching coach Warren Spahn at double-A El Paso was that Warren Spahn won 363 games. Keith admitted that he was a young kid with a big mouth. So he didn't learn much from a legend, but he would get released a few or a dozen more times over his career. And he said he never took it personally. The first time they said, quote, this is the hardest thing I have to do. The many other times included, there's no room for you on the roster. You're too old. We're going with the youth movement. And it got to, according to Keith, it got to be so routine that my lips would move with the managers. He ends up spending the next couple seasons with the with the A's double-A team in West Haven, starting 22 games in 1981. Has a pretty lively arm, striking out 133 batters in 145 innings, and continues that form in 1982, earning a call-up to triple-A Tacoma. His first time breaking through to triple-A in his sixth pro season. But things don't go very well. He has an ERA over seven. So before the 1983 season, he didn't get released, but that might have been better than what actually happened, which, according to baseball reference, March 28th, 1983, purchased by the Detroit Tigers from the Oakland Athletics. And this is one of those weird trades that the Two Strike Noise podcast was talking about. According to a 1990 Sports Illustrated article, the A's sold him to the Tigers for $100 and a bag of balls which Comstock had to deliver to the Tigers camp in Florida. That's that's terrible. That's so demeaning. What in the world? <laughs> Give me a break. It's just like, well, he had to drive there anyways. But but $100, like that's, I don't know, $100 in 1983. Like the that, bag of baseballs could have cost 100 bucks. I mean, it's it, easily. That might have been more valuable than Keith the pitcher And the hundred bucks. And around this time, Keith gets sent to Birmingham, which was Detroit's double A affiliate at the time. And he says he really thought about quitting. The only reason he didn't is that his wife, Kathleen, reminded him that they still owed $185 on 
their Chevy station wagon. <laughs> so he said he'll stick around for another month. He ends up getting into the rotation when a teammate got hurt, and he wins 10 straight games. So his line that season, he went 12-3 and with a 3.21 ERA, pretty decent. He didn't earn a call-up to Detroit or even to AAA that season, but prior to 1984, he signs with the Twins and earns a roster spot on their big league roster right out of spring training. So how did that first shot of the majors go for Keith Comstock? Not great. <laughs> he appeared in the team's opener against the Tigers. He got Lou Whitaker to ground into a force out, walked Alan Trammell, and then gave up a home run to Darrell Evans. He appeared in four games in the first two weeks of the season, gave up six in 6.1 innings for an 8.53 ERA, and earns himself a spot back in AAA. He did better in AAA, 279 ERA in 164 innings. Uh, a nice note here, David, that he and a couple other players who were on the fringes in the Twins organization, Ken Schramm and Mark Bruhard, they made a pact. They bought a bottle of champagne and decided that whoever of the three of them lasted the longest in baseball would get the bottle. Keith was released after that season, so things don't look good for him. But we'll come back to that a little bit later to see who, who wins out in that. Is this the second saga? We have dueling sagas here. Bringing Keith Comstock to Mordor. Who wins the champagne? Also a side bet of champagne. <laughs> I like it. That's kind of like, never mind. I won't go deep into Lord of the Rings too deep. <laughs> Deeper than Tom Bombadil, whatever. <laughs> That's similar to Legolas and Gimli's bet over who could kill more orcs. Mm, yes, that's right. That's perfect. That's a perfect analogy for it. This does bring us to something that we have not seen on any of these 88 Tops cards, and that's a line in Japan. Yeah, the 1985 and 1986 lines have the Japanese team, Yomiuri. So Keith plays for the biggest team in Japan in 1985 and three games in 1986. Keith didn't really know a lot about baseball in Japan. He said he didn't realize that there was a minor league there until he got sent down to it. While he was with the Yomiuri Giants, his manager was Sadahara Oh. Keith was quoted in reference to an incident that occurred that year. So Randy Bass, who we've never talked about on this podcast because he doesn't have a card in the set, but I really want to talk about, and so I'm going to shoehorn <laughs> this in. He was on the verge of setting the Nippon professional baseball record for home runs in a season. He had 54 home runs with two games to go in the season in 1985, playing for the Hanshin Tigers. The record was 55, and it was held by Sadahara Oh. Those last two games that the Hanshin Tigers had to play were against the Yomuri Giants. In the first game, he's held homerless. And in the final game of the season, he's intentionally walked four times. Finally, he gets frustrated and swings at a pitch out of the zone and gets a single. Pitchers on the team are refusing to throw strikes to him. In a Sports Illustrated article from the time, Bass said, Keith Comstock told me that the giant pitchers were threatened with $1,000 fines for every strike they threw me. Manager Sadahara Oh denies that there was any directive from him, that the command according to others, may have come from a pitching coach or higher up in the front office. The record was later tied by Carl Tuffy Rhodes, Cubs legend, and Alex Cabrera. Suspiciously, both of them got to 55 home runs, but no further. Around the time of those record chases, 
there were similar suspicions that that pitchers were being paid to not throw strikes. Finally, that record was broken by Vladimir Ballantin in 2013, who finished the season with 60. He must have just been so far ahead that they couldn't throw only balls for 15 games or something. This was called the phoniest or one of the phoniest records in sports because of these incidents where players just got no strikes to hit. Randy Bass is also famous for something that's called the curse of the colonel. And really, I could not leave this unremarked upon in this podcast. And this is one of my favorite baseball stories. In short, that same year, 1985, Bass leads Hunchin Tigers to the Nippon Series. They win, and the fans are celebrating by jumping into a canal. One by one, fans get up, and a name of a player is called out. So fans who had some resemblance to a player would then jump into the canal. Randy Bass, being a large white man from Oklahoma, there wasn't a fan on hand who bared a resemblance to him. So they looked around town for something, someone, who might bear a resemblance to Randy Bass, a large, bearded, mustachioed man, and they found a, a statue outside of a KFC. <laughs> the Colonel! Looking at it side by side, Randy Bass does not really look like Colonel Sanders. Nonetheless, the statue was thrown into the canal, and the Henshin Tigers went on to an 18-year period where they did not appear in the Nippon series. The Tigers still have not won a series since. David, this is a pretty strong curse and highly likely to be real. I mean, when you go ahead and you you throw the image of the of the colonel into the river to celebrate, I mean, it's the height of hubris. I mean, it's it's hubris covered in herbs and spices. You could definitely see this as like the opening scene of a horror movie. The gods being angered. I'm kind of shocked that that folks did this. And I have to say, they probably got what they deserved. This is a, an extra tasty, crispy conspiracy, I think. Randy Bass ended up returning to the States and getting elected to the Oklahoma State Senate and serving a few terms in the Oklahoma State Senate. So, you know, while the team was cursed, Randy Bass had some significant victories in his career after baseball. For his part in Japan, Keith was okay that first year, and then he had a disappointing 1986. He ends up getting sent down to the minors, which he didn't know existed in Japan, and for that 1986 season, he gave up nine earned runs in 10 innings and then decided to come back stateside. Yeah, so he comes back and at that point had been under contract to 16 teams in 14 different leagues. And according to an LA Times article at the time, Keith was the only player in history to be released by five major league countries. <laughs> he said, the only place I haven't played is Italy, but I hear they've been trying to get a hold of me. <laughs> so he ends up coming back to the States and then held a workout where he invited scouts to come watch him and his big return home from Japan. He had scouts from a lot of major league teams, but he actually didn't send an invite to his hometown club, the San Francisco Giants. They hadn't drafted him, even though he was a, a local star in high school and a local community college star. And so he just kind of thought the Giants will never give me a chance. And then his barber and his dentist encouraged him to send that invite. <laughs> 
which he did. And Al Rosen, who's the Giants club president, rides his bike to watch Keith Comstock pitch. He's impressed and offers him a AAA contract. That's a nice twist of a riding a bike to have that happen as opposed to Ron Kittle hitting a home run and hitting the general manager's car. Yeah, it's, this is, it's a more environmentally friendly mode of transportation than what was probably like a 1977 Buick. So Keith ends up almost making the major league roster. He was the last player cut out of spring training, but does pretty well in Phoenix at AAA, 2.77 ERA in 17 appearances, and finally earns a call-up. And we are almost to the picture on the card. But there's another twist. Keith pitches pretty well. In 15 games, he went 2-0 with a 3.05 ERA. Those are his first two major league wins, and they came for his hometown club. The Giants were five and a half games out of the NL West lead, and they were in third place on the 4th of July. And so they decided to make a big trade. So this trade sends Keith Comstock, 1986 All-Star third baseman Chris Brown, left-handed pitcher Mark Davis, and right-handed pitcher Mark Grant, to the last place Padres for Kevin Mitchell and left-handed pitchers Dave Dravecki and Craig Lefferts. And that trade turns out to be pretty good for the Giants. Mitchell would go on to win an MVP award in 1989. Dravecki was a good pitcher when he was healthy for the 87 team and had an inspirational but unfortunate story. And Craig Lefferts was an effective reliever. The Giants go on, end up clinching the National League West, but Keith is watching it from San Diego. And that trade probably deserves a this way to the clubhouse, but instead we get a fun fact. Yeah, the fun fact is that Keith Comstock lists backgammon and cribbage among his hobbies. <laughs> what? I, I'm absolutely, I'm floored. I cannot believe this. I can't believe that this is the fun fact they have for a 32-year-old man. This is also the fun fact for the Golden Girls. <laughs> this is a fun fact for my great uncle Ernie, and, and it's true. It's absolutely true. I, it, it's pushing 90 years old. I guess Keith probably had some time sitting in the clubhouse on minor league buses. You play backgammon and cribbage. I have never played either of those things. All that said, this is also Keith's first baseball card on a professional team. His first tops card at 32 years old. He was so excited, he sent it to his mom. After so many ups and downs, it was kind of a validation to see his face on a baseball card. He was also aware of that error that we discussed earlier and said that it added some notoriety. So it must have been kind of cool that people were trying to collect his card. Maybe not necessarily because everybody got, you got to get that rookie Keith Comstock card, but because of the errors. Kind of the, the culmination of a lifelong dream and a lifetime of baseball when three or four years prior, he was ready to quit. Unfortunately, when he goes to the Padres, he reverts back to form, 5.5 ERA in 36 innings, but he did finish the season in the major leagues, which was a first for Keith. Yeah, but was not repeated in 1988. He sent down to AAA after only seven games, ends up as the closer for the Las Vegas Stars. He was 5-4 and four that season with 314 ERA and 17 saves. And that, David, brings us to that other card, which was a 1989 card. Yes, this obscene card, or as ESPN called it, the funniest baseball card ever made. At this point, Keith had been on a lot of minor league baseball cards. 
He knew what to expect from a photographer who was just trying to get in and leave. They wanted guys to do certain poses. They wanted to get their shots, and then they wanted to get out of town. But also at this point, Keith had been in the big leagues and sent down. And so this is a bit of a letdown to now go from having your 1988 rookie card to having your picture taken for a 1989 AAA card. So the photographer comes around. He's got his shot list. He knew which hand players threw with. He knew which direction they batted. So if anybody tried to mess with him, he would retake the picture. Keith wanted to do something fun, do a little prank. And so when the photographer asks him how he wants to pose, he said, I want it to look like a comebacker hit me in the nuts. (laughs) This request was denied. (laughs) But at this point, not every player on the team had been photographed. And so a teammate told Keith, who was a veteran and had a big presence on the team, that he should talk to his teammates. And the team had some higher profile young players who would go on to long careers Guys like Sandy Alomar, Roberto Alomar, Joey Cora. Guys who the photographer needed to get pictures of. So Keith tells his teammates that they should hold out on signing their card contract and refuse to take a picture unless the photographer grants Keith's request. And David, this prank sounds suspiciously familiar to the Paul Nochi incident that we had earlier where Paul Nochi sewed a ball onto his backside to make it look like he had been hit by a line drive. And there, there the technique that Nochi used to ensure that the photo would stick is that he just made himself scarce so that the rest of the time the photographer was there, no one could retake the picture. What a brilliant move right here. The gambit works. Keith said there's no hesitation. The photographer just caved immediately because it's not like it's any it's no big deal to him and Keith was quoted as saying it wasn't like some movie moment though I wasn't Mel Gibson in Braveheart there was no chanting or cheering they were like go ahead I'm sure they really didn't care and the mechanics behind this shot are pretty fascinating David Keith found some super glue used a spare pair of pants because the team told him not to ruin his pants. As we learned in the in the Damaso Garcia episode, if you ruin your own uniform, whether it's through super glue, photo antics, or setting it on fire, the club's not going to like it very much. So he super glues this ball to his groin, and the ball kept falling off. And so they really only had time for one shot. And so he tells... The photographer, take the picture, take the picture. Photographer takes the picture and they wait. Yeah, it's it's exciting. And we will have a link to that card in the show notes. Be sure to click through so that you can see this epic card. How was Keith Comstock on the field in 1989? Was he as exciting and shocking as a line drive to the groinal region? He appeared in 28 games and the Padres released him on June 18th. But not before his teammates got their pack of cards and asked Keith to sign his card for them. (laughs) I wonder if somebody at Pro Cards, the company who made this card, realized somewhere in this, like, wait a minute, people are going to be looking for this card, and we have now created a, a, a market for a ridiculous card. And this Keith Comstock minor league card can be bought for. $30 to $40 on eBay. 
these days. Wow. Wow. We're after Christmas. Otherwise, <laughs> it would have already been ordered. Mm-hmm. After being released by the Padres, he signed shortly afterwards with Seattle. He spends five games in Calgary, gets called up to the Mariners, and has a successful stint in 1989. 2.81 ERA and 31 appearances, setting the stage for what would be his very best season, 1990. And that's the only year he spent entirely in the major leagues. He appeared 60 times, finishing with a 7-4 and record, 2.89 ERA, and two saves. 56 innings, he struck out 50 batters and a whip of 1.179. That's the lowest of his career and by far his best season, you would say. And how does he follow that up? He gets sent back to the minors. Yeah, he starts 1991 in AAA again. And he ends up only pitching 0.1 innings in 1991 at the big league level. Gives up two runs for a 54 ERA. But his ERA plus in those 89 and 90 was 146 and 136. So he was pretty good as a 33, 34-year-old with the Mariners in 89 and 90. And so after that one final big league appearance, he becomes a free agent after 1991 and decides to retire. So closing the book on Keith Comstock's career... He had a 67 and 48 record in the minor leagues, but in the major leagues, he only had a record of 10 and 7, a 4.06 ERA with 142 strikeouts in 153 innings. How about in retirement? He went into coaching. He was first a pitching coach and then a manager in the Giants system, and then back to being a pitching coach, sometimes roving pitching instructor in the Angels system. Since 2007, Keith has served as the Texas Rangers rehab pitching coordinator. So he works with pitchers who are recovering from surgery, and he still serves in that role in 2021. He also co-wrote a book with Mike Murphy called The Con Man. Mm. And this book is described as a story of a pitcher who, quote, has been released from professional baseball contracts 10 times over a 16-year career, but he... He's overcome every obstacle to finally reach the show when he's a decade too old. That sounds very familiar. You know, it's the same old story, David. You know, boy meets baseball. Boy gets sent to Japan. Boy gets sent to the miners in Japan that he didn't realize existed. (laughs) It is based on a true story. It is based on the story of Keith Comstock. So we may need to do a follow-up with the 1988 Topps Book Club. It is available on Kindle. Yeah, let's go for it. So now that we've looked deeper into Keith Comstock's career, what do we think about him? This was really just a card I knew was notable because it was the most valuable card in the set by far. That $6 value in 1988, I think was three times as much as any other card, which was another error. There weren't any cards that were valued more than a dollar when the set came out. And this is different than the other quote-unquote valuable cards or cards that we thought were valuable in the set. You know, we thought that the Matt Noakes rookie was going to be our ticket to a college education. Keith Comstock was a 31, 32-year-old rookie. It wasn't valuable because anybody expected anything from him. Keith had a long career and an unexpectedly long career, but he was a left-handed pitcher. And that bet with his friends, Keith won the champagne. Schramm played until 1989, Broward played until 1987, and Keith was still around until 1991. It helped that Keith was a lefty. 
He said, if I wasn't, I would have been done at 24. If you're a southpaw and can still flip the ball, there will always be a place for you. I think he has a neat story. He could have quit in Birmingham in 1983, and he didn't, for maybe a good reason. He had a car payment to make. You know, we all have our obligations that, that keep us from quitting. And for Keith, that then led him on this weird saga. He made a career out of rejection, packing up and moving on to the next stop. Six years later, he creates this silly, iconic image that is maybe what he's most famous for. Oh, and in the course of those six years, he travels the world, makes it to the major leagues, and has some really good seasons in the minors, and a few decent seasons in the majors. But his lasting contribution to baseball is that ridiculous baseball card. His wife Kathleen had been with him through all of this travel, through the ups and downs, and she rolled her eyes at Keith's card when he showed it to her. And there's another podcast about the put-upon wives of minor league journeymen that we come across here. Uh, Kathleen and Keith had three kids. They have six grandkids. Keith said they've all seen that baseball card. Two of my grandsons are 10 and 12. Their mom showed them the card a while back, and they loved it. 30 years later, and there's Grandpa getting hit in the nuts. <laughs> that is the quote of the podcast, I think. Keith relishes that this ridiculous card exists and that his silly prank has lived on. He said, you could have told me that I was a Cy Young Award winner. I don't think I would have felt as much pride as I did with that baseball card. Comstock, tongue firmly in cheek, told an interviewer. There have been a lot of Cy Young Award winners, but there's only one card like that. And so people still come up to him and say, you're the guy with the ball to the crotch. <laughs> and he says, at the end of the day, to a lot of people, this is how I'm remembered as a player. And at least I'm remembered. And th that's something that I think we've come across in a few of these episodes, that guys are just happy to talk about the career that they've had and just the fact that they're remembered for something. And so Keith Comstock... He got hit in the nuts with a baseball. <laughs> no. Yes. And, so, and so Keith Comstock <laughs> had a, a remarkable career and a ridiculous card. And the ability to kind of like make a joke of himself is, I think, an admirable quality. And so, of course, here at the 1988 Tops podcast, we will remember you, Keith Comstock. We certainly will. So thank you, David. Thank you for that story. And Thank you to you at home. If you've got a memorable crotch, we'd love to see it on Twitter. <laughs> I don't know if we can ask for that. Uh, <laughs> that violates I the Comstock laws. It does, actually. It violates the Comstock laws. So let's just put it this way. If you've ever unleashed a decades-long curse by throwing a statue into a river... We'd love to hear from you on Twitter. We're at Tops1988. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week. 